Again, welcome back. LI Radio News Time is 8.05 a.m. You are listening to LA in the AM with Jay Alaba. I am Tom Shalero sitting in for Jay. And uh, we have another great guest. Let me tell you something. Uh, Lisa Navarro has been a regular on my program, the uh, Your Island with Tom Shalero, here at every day, 12.17 to 2 o'clock, uh, Monday through Friday. Uh, Lisa has been out there. She's owner, CEO of uh, Child Behavior Consulting. Just did a great program over there at the Brookhaven Town Hall a couple of weeks ago under the auspices of Assemblyman Doug Smith uh, talking about mental health in the classrooms and so on. Widely attended by folks who listen to LA News Radio. It's always great to have her on. This, these, are, these are important subjects. Uh, many of us have children or, gran- are the, uh, or grandchildren in our schools. We get letters and text messages all the time whenever Lisa's on uh, to talk about some of the problems that are there. And the main topic that Lisa had dealt with a couple of uh, it was dealing with the mental health issues in our classroom. Lisa Navarro, my friend, how are you? I'm doing great today. How are you, Tom? All right, doing doing good. I know you're taking time out from the busy schedule uh, early in the morning to come on our, our radio program. Just give us a quick uh, version of um, now that it's two weeks after that event that took place at the Brookhaven Town Hall, uh, the feedback. I know many people have approached you, and we're talking about people within the the uh, the 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 auspices of education, like superintendents, assistant superintendents, and principals, and so on, uh, about the importance of the topic that you dealt with. What was the feedback? Yes, the feedback was uh, wide and varied. Actually, there's just you know the topic time was really, as you know, about mental health and class and beyond. But really, what can we do to merge the mental health support systems within the educational system? And really merging that so we could see how it looks and supports our students on a daily basis. So we had received a lot of feedback regarding the mental health concerns that we have in not just the classroom, but in families and communities, as well as the educational progress and uh, big achievement gaps that are existing within our student population today. So with that said, We've heard from uh, individuals, including school nurses and educators, and one of their big concerns really is the, the, the lack of support because we just don't have substitutes. And if you don't have subs when, it, when, when teachers are out, what do you do? They directly impact the way that we educate our children for that particular day. It is a wide um, spread problem throughout the communities. So let me give you an example. For example, there were a number of uh, people out. Now, you know, there's COVID, there's the flu, there's RSV, there's all these, all these things going out there where everyone's really getting sick. We're getting hit hard, and it's showing within the school attendance. So we have a lot of teachers out. We have to split those classes up. So now teachers are absorbing other teacher students and that class is split for the day. Or you're pulling support staff so they could be with the students that day. And and that's a big problem. 
So when one thinks about it, I mean, I'll tell you the truth. I wasn't, uh, this is a, a new issue that I wasn't aware of, is the lack of substitute teachers. Uh, and uh, I guess we could attribute it to a lot of reasons and so on, but it is a uh, certainly would in my mind as somebody not really involved in in the running of a school that's got to be almost a uh, a nightmare. And again, dealing with the uh, with your issue with that, the the mere fact that so many people came forward and uh, participated in the in the event that you did a couple of weeks ago with the mental health in the schools and so on, uh, you think we're making progress or is it become more frustration than more? Moving forward, we're not moving forward as much as we thought. Or do you think it's something that uh, eventually will happen, but it's not happening quick enough? Do you mean based on the uh, the conversation, the discussion from the panel, and those topics? Uh, something done. Uh, I, I'll put it. I'll put it another way. Uh, you have created some uh, pretty neat learning tools for teachers. I've heard teachers talk about your program, and uh, yeah. what they're saying is that, "Wow, this is really good. I didn't realize that." So you put some of what, what using the word tools uh, to to move this thing forward. Uh, how do, how does something like that become widely accepted so that teachers can then latch on? to what you've been doing. Uh, and again, I, I like to call you an innovator in education because you're doing something that's, ne that's never been done before. First of all, how do you create these ideas and how do you get them into the school districts so that uh, teachers can learn? And I know that sounds like an anomaly. The teachers are supposed to teach, but teachers can learn and they can learn from other teachers and they can learn from other uh, programs that are being done in order to enhance the educational experience for young children. So I, I guess the, the question I have to you is, how do you take those tools that you and I have spoke about quite a bit and, and advance them into our school districts so that parents are, are satisfied with what is going on in schools, particularly with those students that are in need? It's such a good question. Um, you know, change takes a long time, but I believe the sweet spot, unfortunately, is that children need so much more intensive help and explicit instruction in ways that they've never needed before. And that leaves the educators at an impasse because what they've learned and what they've always practiced is not meeting the needs of our children today. And they know that. So they're sad, they're frustrated, and they just want to teach so their kids are happy and they enjoy a good productive day. It should be that simple, but they're realizing that it's not. So what's happening is I have these intensive um, teacher and student programs where it actually teaches in a very relatable way through children's literature how to learn, how to self-regulate, how do we focus in class? Because so many kids are being referred to special education, but if we can only teach them the skills in how to focus, then we can teach them information where they can then learn it. So this is what's happening. They're seeing, oh, you've got programs for kids. Okay, come on in. But what's happening through that is the actual classroom teacher during those programs are learning. And they're learning, oh, that's the cognitive skill of positive self-talk. That's how I use it to reinforce learning in the classroom. I could do that. So now that's turning into, but how do I use these tools that the main character, Henry, Henry in my story, Used to get in trouble so much because he never used these learning tools, right? Uh, until he learned to control himself. So through these stories, he's supported through vers uh, visual and verbal prompts. And they're like, wow, how do I get these tools? So now they're saying, wow, it's working.
kids are responding and it's easy. I could see using this in the classroom, but it is effective. So now what's the next step? So it's exposure, Tom, and it's a whole new way of thinking. And if we can get past frustrating, feeling frustrated that our kids need more, and if we can see that cognitive skill training in such a way, like through Tools Inspiring Action, um, is there as a support, uh, I think that's the real way to go because you're also then decreasing the need for mental health services because kids have a better self-concept of themselves. Um. How much, uh, we've talked quite a bit, uh, we could look back, we could look back on the pandemic and what took place, kids online, uh, FaceTime, whatever, I don't know what they were doing during those those couple of years where the, our, our Long Island school districts were devastated. Uh, it seems like we're out of it now, even though we keep hearing about these illnesses, as you mentioned before, with substitute teachers and so on. And when we're looking back, uh, and we look at what happened. Are, are we suffering from that, from that loss of two years? Now, some people would argue with me and say, well, there wasn't a loss. The teachers did their thing. It was all computerized. It was home learning. It was all of that. But if we're trying to be honest and fair with each other, and you may certainly disagree with that, but I think there was a loss there. And I think there's now going to be a residual uh, uh, problem in trying to bring us back to where we were. We have ex- academic excellence in uh, in New York State, particularly Nassau and Suffolk County. I've always said this. We have the best school districts in the country, and I'm not just saying that. The, the facts and the figures and the test scores all add that all up. But when one looks back and say, what what was the loss? What was the, uh, uh, the resi- residual effect? And are we still feeling it right now? I believe that for many, we are there were families who suffered. Um, there was trauma endured. And there was a very challenging situation for children who struggle learning. And learning online was not supportive of their learning style. So a lot of those kids not only didn't learn during the time, but they also felt like a failure, which then now when they came back into school last year, they came in with learning loss, but they also felt like they weren't quite smart enough or smarter than the other kids and so this alone set them back so that's why we need to really see the way in which we teach children and have that emotional component where we are encouraging them in ways to be able to work through their negative perceptions about themselves as learners too your um your program that I know some school districts are starting to adopt. And I know, again, as I mentioned before, I saw teachers talking about your program and saying it was like a, a moment when saying, well, yeah, I think that, that, that can, that can work. Um, uh, in your development of a teaching program that, uh, uh, really should move us more forward. And I think we were set back as a result of the pandemic. So now we have to catch up. Does that program that you talk about, the learning tools that you're talking about, that I think is somewhat innovative, that uh, is moving us into a much better direction? Uh, and I know, uh, again, you're making presentations to school districts and uh, and being received with with high marks as far as that's concerned. How does one, I'm talking to you directly, is how does one develop that? How did you develop that so that it fits into what other teachers have not been able to do but needed uh, to see something new. We're, we're all able to learn something new or see something new. But what inspired you and what what 
was brought to you to come out with a, a syllabus like this or a program like this? You know, it's funny. I guess we all, um, whenever we're either an entrepreneur or we create, innovate something, we always find a need, right? Well, it was unfortunate that um, I wasn't looking for a need, but I was presented with one. So throughout my career, I've had, I've had many different roles. I was behavior specialist for a while. They accessed that position, put me back into the classroom. And when they did, it was all during the time of No Child Left Behind, which was rigorous curriculum, core curriculum, and every kid will succeed. Well, what they did was they put even a bigger gap within the educational development of students by providing only grade-level materials and saying, okay, you teach second-grade special ed, here's second-grade. Well, I had children in front of me on the kindergarten level falling out of their seats. They weren't able to physically self-regulate, nonetheless, emotionally self-regulate, or even be able to focus and remember what it is I'm trying to teach them. So I really did a lot of research in neuroscience, and I applied it to the classroom for years. And I created this visual-verbal prompting system, as well as workshops for parents that I incorporated my students' parents at the time um, into, as well as for educator professional development, because I needed it as an educator to be effective. But here's what's the crazy thing, is now back to full-time being behavior specialist, what I have found is that it is not inclusive of children with special needs. This program has been so powerful for general education students as well as their parents and gen ed teachers. And when I say teachers, I mean related service providers, I mean social workers, psychologists that work in the school systems, you name it. It is what has been missing. When I talk, when I talk to people in the schools, they're like, I can't believe you have been the missing piece. I'm like, mm, not me, but the information put together so we can understand it and use it has been the missing piece, but we have it now. So now let's get it out there. So that's what happened. I needed resources that did not exist. So I had to merge both the world of psychology with education and then apply it to everybody. So it's a whole tiered system with children being in the middle. We've got the educators development and the parent development as well. Make the uh, listeners aware that if you, you're interested in, in the event that took place a couple of weeks ago, you can go on to uh, the Facebook page from for my radio program, uh, Your Island with Tom Shalero, and the entire uh, event is right there on Facebook because we we did a live stream on it, and uh, uh, I know I had watched it, and uh, even when it was going on, and then of course uh, so much to learn from it, and to see first of all with the panel, and then of course Lisa Navarro made a presentation again. Lisa is the owner of Child Behavior Consulting, and I think those parents that had wrote wrote into us and and uh, made comments was all very very positive. So I think there was a value uh, to what we're talking about right now. You know, just a couple of minutes uh, left, Lisa. I know you you got a busy. busy Busy morning ahead. Um, the whole idea of the holiday season and, and kids, the special needs kids, is, is there something that teachers should be sensitive to? You know, we're, we're in a season right now, school's still in session, I think, until Friday, and then there'll be that uh, holiday break and so on. Uh, is there any certain uh, sensitivity that teachers need with uh, certain types of students at this time of year? Absolutely, and I think our schools really do that. 
I think we have such wonderful administrators as um, educators. They they have building wide. They've got district wide programs to meet the needs of of their students. So a lot of times that they are adopting families and people going out and spending a lot of money on making sure that the children in their communities who either are homeless, just seem to have a special need, um, that their needs are met. It's a really beautiful time of year. you got to see their, these programs, it's kind of like you have some teachers and they're a bunch of little elves, and they're working the sidelines, they're making sure Harvest is, is there for the food, and then Island Harvest is there for the food, and those parents are getting fed, and then you have all the, the collection of the different things that the children wanted that they just were afraid that they weren't going to get this, this, you know, a holiday season, and they're working rigorously to make sure that everything's packaged and delivered before we, we split for the uh, the holiday season, you know, so and break. It's really a yeah. wonderful time of year. Yeah. Uh, and again, going back to my, my thoughts before, so much has happened over the last couple of years. Uh, you've been in the forefront, uh, I know, on a lot of the different issues, dealing with our schools and dealing with special needs children, dealing with mental health in the classroom. Again, the whole idea of that symposium that we had. Um, this is almost uh, just a, a, an elaboration of, of what we just talked about minutes ago, is the, the whole idea of the future. Uh, see, I'm an optimist. I believe glass is half full all the time, and I, and I truly believe that. So I'm optimistic about the future that we are going to pull out of this. And I know schools are our number one, children are our number one priority, uh, particularly here on Long Island, and that's how we feel about that. Uh, and I'll ask you your, your answer to that about optimism and should parents and grandparents out there that, that are, in many cases, primary caregivers for a lot of children because of the stresses of family life that we have seen, uh, do, you, do you hold uh, an air of optimism? You certainly did that evening when we had that um, that event. Uh, is that is that how you really feel? What's life worth if we don't have hope? Yeah. We need hope. We need inspiration, right? Mm-hmm. And and we need to work collaboratively, collaboratively together. And I really truly believe that when we do that, big things can happen. Really great things can happen. So there's always hope because children need help, and so we need to keep on moving forward in a positive way. That what we have will help them. And if it doesn't, then we learn other ways and we learn to meet their needs. And children will reward us with their love and happiness. And it makes every day and hour of hard work worth it. Before I let you go, but where could parents turn to if they have a question or a comment to their schools? Let's let's keep it in their local school district. Uh, is, is there staff available, uh, whether it's in the central administration office and so on, where a parent is seeing or hearing something that they feel needs more attention? Uh, what might be the best place to focus that attention for a parent? Well, you always start with the classroom teacher, right? And so, um, and, and and also remember, if your child has uh, related services like speech or if they have occupational therapy, physical therapy, resource room, those are your child's teacher also. Contact them as well as the classroom teacher. And so start there. And now if you have a very inspired parent, I'd say that talk with the teacher. But then if you really want to see different programs in your buildings, go to the principal. Go to central administration too. Because they want to hear from you. They want to know what you're thinking and say, hey, I've got this program. I really want to see it in the, in the school district. Or I'm finding that 
my child along with the other children that and friends, they're, they're struggling in the same way. Is there something on a district level that we can do? So there's lots of different avenues, but communication is key. It's a key component. Lisa, can you give some information out to the folks where they might get a hold of your child behavior consulting? Absolutely. Um, it's childbehaviorconsulting.com. Call me, 631-617-1958. I'll help you in any way that I can, giving you support, resources, and uh, even programs if you're interested for parents and children, as well as for the school. Once again, Lisa Navarro. Lisa, you have a great day. We'll talk to you again soon.